0: I'm Dr. Heather Monthy from the About the T and STEM Podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual host. Make sure you check out the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one.
1: Hey, welcome back. Today, I got an awesome one for you. I'm talking with Dr. Sharon Jones, who's the founder and CEO of the Dot Consulting Company, as well as the Dottie Rose Foundation. She's all about helping girls get excited about technology and those technological career fields. That's right. Lots to learn. Lots to hear. You're going to love this episode. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. Hey, have you got some thoughts, questions, or ideas? I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me through my email at StephenMiletto at gmail.com. Steven spelled with a V, and Maletto is M-I-L-E-T-T-O. And that's at gmail.com, or if you're in the United States or Canada, you can call my Google Voice number at 478-353-5471. Love to hear from you. Thanks. Take care now. <laughs> Dr. Sharon Jones, EDD, is the founder and CEO of The Dot Consulting and the Dottie Rose Foundation, where she leads and implements technology focused education and innovation. Dr. Jones has found her passion in education, has served as a career and technical education teacher in Charlotte Mecklenburg schools and Wake County schools, as well as a senior technical trainer with Central Piedmont Community College. Additionally, she is a well known industry teacher, trainer, and mentor working for organizations with like minded missions, and has taught courses in computer programming, web design, e commerce, computer science principles and SAS programming the uh, or SAS whichever uh,
0: <laughs> SAS programming is correct yeah mm-hmm. appreciate
1: that <laughs> dr. Yeah, Jones that's has, perfect. <laughs> dr. Jones has presented and been published nationally and internationally on data analytics educational practices and technology her book a recipe for success using SAS or SAS University, how to plan your first analytics project is being used in curriculum and classrooms around the country. When not running the technology world, Dr. Jones spends her time with her husband Ricky and two sons Ethan and Dylan, and their beloved dog Cooper. And uh, Sharon, say you know, thanks for joining me today, and say hi to everyone.
0: Hi everyone, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me, Stephen. Well,
1: it's awesome to have you with us. And uh, and I got to say this because and I I didn't say anything about this before, but um, so just how beloved is Cooper?
0: He is very beloved. I have to tell you that I was not a big dog person, and my husband was determined that we were going to have a dog. So I told him the only way I would do it is if the dog was a good-sized dog, not too big, not too small, but did not shed. So he did a lot of research and found a breed called the Cockapoo, which at the time was not as popular as it is now. So we went together right before we got married, and we picked up Cooper. And Cooper came to us and snuggled right up into my husband's shoulder, and we knew he was the one.
1: That's awesome. So
0: he has been our partner in crime, our first child, for he will be, he just turned 11. <laughs> there he is.
1: Wow. He, he knows you're talking about him. Nice.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs>
1: That's awesome i uh, pets are it's something else and then when they become a family member and they do exactly what you need them to do, that's perfect so uh um that's that's neat so well, thank you for sharing that sorry I just I had to ask that the uh I love well, That's
0: dogs. A great question. Thank you for asking <laughs> about him. He doesn't get asked about that
1: often. yeah <laughs> uh, well, I'm glad to add him to the show so uh so before we go any further, tell us what you liked most about teaching and working with kids.
0: Teaching is a passion, it is my life's work, is what lights me up every day. The part that I love the most is watching the light bulb go off. When you see the students see the connections or see the content that you have presented in a new way and, they're a little, and their brains make sense of it, that's what I love the most about teaching.
1: Very cool. That's very cool. You know, I I love that idea about the light bulbs going off because there's nothing nothing better than that sense of that that's very rewarding and it's hard to describe to somebody. I mean, you can tell them, but unless they experience what you're talking about, they really don't know
0: what you're talking about. <laughs> Teaching is a career that is extremely rewarding. It's hard. It requires dedication and it requires a love to really want to support and bring new new knowledge to people it's it's a relationship builder it is a connecting career you are working with people all day and people whether they're children or adults but you have a lot of different people that you're connecting and working with and collaborating and you're sharing knowledge and there is just Always rewards in that every day. And the other part that is so amazing about being an educator is that no two days are the same. They're very different. There's a lot of opportunity to change up what you're doing based on what's happening in the world. And it's just a it's a really exciting field to be in, but you have to be ready to put forth the work and know that you are it's going to be hard. I mean, it's the days are long, but at the end it's just Amazing to watch the kids grow and turn into completely different people than when you started with them at the beginning of the school year.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. That's, you know, it's so cool because one of the things that, uh, you know, along the lines of what you're talking about, that's really just a, a neat aspect of it is that during the day you might ha- have had these wonderful plans, and then the personalities or whatever—you know—it's in some ways you're kind of like a stand-up comedian. <laughs> some audiences yeah. just don't work out for you. <laughs> and,
0: no, you know, and you have to be okay with that. I mean, it took—I'm me not saying that that came easily. It took a little bit of time to realize that you, the even the best lesson plans can go kaputs if there's not the reaction or the connection from the kids, and. I learned very early in my career that I just had to pivot and be like, well, okay, let's just, let's try this again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's, it's awesome because it's, and it, and, you know, it's funny because I learned also um, that teaching the same class in a row, sometimes you get the exact opposite reaction from what you got. You know, first period, I was a world history teacher and U S history teacher. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, mm-hmm. it was interesting how sometimes uh, the, the one class, just really into it and, and you're, you're like i'm on fire this is working out i didn't realize i could do this so well and then the next class poof, it's like what yes, hello
0: <laughs> like are y'all there hello <laughs> but this should, you're like and you're all excited because first period it just like nailed it and it was great and you're like yes 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 then the second period comes in yeah i told I, I i can close my eyes and put myself right there <laughs> and you're thinking man
1: <laughs> exactly.
0: Well, back to the drawing board.
1: <laughs> exactly. So, do you have a favorite story or a moment from teaching that reminds you, you know, that whole thing about why you became a teacher?
0: I do. I, I have. I have quite a few, but one that I would love to share happened to me just recently, about two weeks ago. I'm in a community here in Charlotte that promotes women in technology, promotes women in leadership, and we had the opportunity to be a to help put forth a conference called Florix Conference. And it was the first conference uh, for all women in the technology field. And as an educator, I've cultivated a lot of relationships with the community members because I am a career and technical education teacher by trait, which you mentioned in the bio. And I found that as I was teaching technological classes that it really benefited me to reach out to the community and ask people that were working with those technologies to help me better understand how to teach it, to have them come in and communicate with students. And so I began to cultivate a very wonderful community of women in the tech field, men in the tech field, that have supported me as an educator throughout my years of teaching. So at the Florex conference, we brought together many of these women to talk about different topics in the technology field. and. This happened really by surprise, but I was working at my table to promote my nonprofit. And three of my babies, my young ladies that were in my computer programming classes, all three walked up to my table to say, hey, Dr. Jones. And they had three or four women behind them as well all three of those young women are currently at uncc either as undergrads uh computer science majors or working on their masters in computer science my hairs on my arms just stood up here are three women that all said that i was a mentor and guided them into this career of technology and that they would not have had that opportunity had I not provided them that mentorship and giving them exposure and different chances to experience technology. So it was really rewarding. And I stood there and I thought, that's why. That's why I teach.
1: That's awesome. That is awesome because that, that, there's nothing more powerful than that. That's so cool. Thanks for sharing that journey. Yeah, that's it was. So cool. It
0: was really neat. And then the ladies that they brought with them were like, "Oh my gosh, we've heard so much about you. <laughs> nice. We thought you were like a figment of their imagination, but you're real." I'm like, "Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm real, and I live here." So, and they and some of them have reached out to me um, as well, and we're going to work together this summer on some research projects.
1: Oh, excellent! Even better. That's that's very cool. Yeah. Oh. Yes. Congrats on that. That's neat that they uh, that you made those connections with them too. Very cool. So, so anyone listening to you, obviously it seems that you have just this little interest in technology. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you've taught computer programming, you've written technologically uh, technology books, you have a foundation that is focused on helping girls develop and expand their interest in technology career fields, and you help organizations implement technology initiatives. So where'd your interest in technology come from?
0: Wow, Stephen, that's such a good question. And so, oh, the journey is long. Um, (laughs) What do I get? The best place to begin is I am 38 years old. I was born in the 80s. So if we can think back to those of us that are 80s and 90s babies, we did not have this plethora of technology that was around us. But we had some. And one of the best pieces of technology that we had was a Walkman. And we had these dual recording cassette players. And if I can think back to when I really started to embrace technology, although at the time I didn't know that's what I was doing, was when I was in high school and I had a really big passion for radio. I really thought I was going to do something as a radio DJ, work in the radio industry, because I had a little show that was my own show called, it was DJ Sharky Sharon. Excellent. <laughs> And I came to you in the midnight hour and I would had all kinds of things. But what I would do is I on my dual cassette player, I would record the songs from the radio, you know, stop it, and then record my DJ piece nice. and then start it again. You know, so I made like a mixtape and I was, you know, 15, 16 years old and that is, was very technologically inclined at that time because I had to know when to start, when to stop and how to operate the machinery. Then I would take it into my Walkman and then I would I would dub it and make it too so that I could send it off to a radio station because I also thought for some reason if I sent this mailed a tape to the radio station, <clears throat> if I mailed a tape to the radio station that I would magically become a DJ. But that was really my first introduction. I didn't have a lot of exposure to it In high school, we just didn't, we had some classes, but I wasn't, I didn't know that those were things that I should take. I didn't, I didn't take keyboarding or any of those things. When I went to college, I got my first email address and I was a sophomore in college at UNC Chapel Hill. And I remember we were sitting in a communications class and the professor said, you need to to uh, present your uh, project in PowerPoint. And I leaned to the person next to me and said, what is PowerPoint? (laughs) I had just never heard of it. I didn't know what it was. We had not had all, I mean, we got a computer in my own home when I was a senior in high school, which was in 1998. And that was because I had to do my senior exit project. And so I taught myself Microsoft Word, typing away like a chicken, because I I hadn't taken typing. So I say all of that because that was really the entry for me. First of all, I taught myself how to make a mixtape, and then with PowerPoint, there wasn't anybody to show me. When I asked the students to me, they were first of all they kind of giggled, but then they showed it to me. But then I had to figure out what to do, and that was just the beginning. When I decided to go in to do my master's in education, I wanted to do something around business and marketing because that was really of interest to me, and. As a part of that degree, I had to take a programming class, which, of course, again, I had still not had any exposure to because I had been a communications major as an undergrad. So I, again, had to learn Visual Basic.net from a book and an old laptop computer that was a hand-me-down, and one, and it was the most rewarding. I don't know. I'm actually had it, but it was really rewarding when I actually turned the light bulb on and off in Visual Basic. So that was the first project. Cool. We had to learn binary code, which is zeros and ones and et cetera. And I had to turn a light bulb on and off. That was all I had to do. But good gracious, that took me probably a month to figure out what to do. It was just so foreign to me. So that drove me. To know that if I can figure this out and I am not a technology native, I'm a smart individual. I've used all of my senses and all of my brain power to figure out how to associate things that I was doing in the in my programming, in the programs with things that I already understood that. So like I went back to the days of, of doing the dual cassette where you'd stop and start because that's binary. I turned it on, I turned it off like well if i can turn the if i turn the cassette player on and off all right so what would be on for a light bulb and what would be off and i just began to think in that manner and that's really what has driven me into this career of technology that i began to realize that i really had a knack for it i could relate what i was learning to something that i was had already done or was doing in my everyday life and that really resonated with my students. And so that's where I began to get some traction and start understanding, okay, well, we can figure this out. Because in career and technical ed, you tend to float between different classes on a regular basis. (laughs) And so you kind of have to be like, so one semester you're going to teach visual basic. The next one you might teach HTML, JavaScript. All right. So here we go. And I just figured I could stay one head, uh, one day ahead of the kids, sometimes one hour ahead of the kids <laughs> to uh, understand the content. And that ability to be able to learn on my own is really what has driven me. And I know that it's very attainable. And I don't – my passion has become really to share that it's attainable, that it's not something scary. And that once we figure out how the technology helps us personally – then we begin to open the door to how we can use the computer to help us.
1: Excellent. The, that's a
0: long-winded answer. Oh, that's a great answer.
1: That's an awesome answer. It's, uh, you know, it's uh, there's so many avenues we could take based upon that. And first of all, I got to say this: I love the the dual tape thing because oh yeah, that brings back memories. And unfortunately, you know, you're you're right in the age bracket where I I would have been, I could have been your history teacher. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and what's what's funny is that as soon as you mentioned that Walkman thing, you know, it's uh, um, if you just jump back because you're born in the '80s. Well, you know. Eighty-one to eighty-three. I'm in, in in eighty-four. In that time frame, that's that's that's. Uh, I graduated high school in eighty-one, and so I'm into these these groups that were all big deal at the time: Flock of Seagulls, Billy Idol, and Adam Ant, and all these types nice. of things, and yeah. you know, all these types of groups, and uh, um, and <laughs> you know, oh my gosh. I'm old, man. <laughs> but it's cool because no, no, there's all know, these people there listening to this now. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I an mean, 8-track was a pretty amazing technological invention at the time. And the record, the record's still a pretty amazing piece of technology, the way the record player worked with the piece of vinyl. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's it's impressive. I mean, even just the concept of being able to record is pretty awesome.
1: It really is. That's so something, no
0: matter what, uh, I mean you think about it now all the things that we do now are just the same they're really the same they're just replicated in different ways
1: (laughs) very much so and I and I love the fact that uh the millennials have decided that they'd really love vinyl because it's brought (laughs) I got I'm like all right man I'm out there finding records again that I wish I'd unfortunately when I was in college I only bought them on cassette tape so now I'm able to find the vinyl records again
0: I know it's really (laughs) awesome my niece uh for christmas she got a uh, a new record player and we bought her a couple of uh records adele was one of my favorites so i found that one a couple other cool ones it was that was fun i agree it nice. was fun searching for them and, and picking out things i thought she'd like good
1: stuff well i've got to say this before i forget because one of the things when you mentioned the walkman okay so if you back up a bunch of years i'll never forget going to when uh, um i'm in college and uh i'm in band i'm in marching band and jazz band and all that stuff and we made trips And, uh, we're on this trip and this kid has, he has not only has a Walkman that you put a cassette tape in, but he has a battery pack that attaches to it so he could have longer battery life (laughs) and it started looking like Batman with our utility belt. And, (laughs) but it's, he come forward and it's just funny because, you know, I think about, like you said, it's just in different forms, but today, you know, then in order to, have my music outside while I'm working in the yard or something like this. i had to put my stepbrother's speakers in the window <laughs> and crank up right. the stereo. Now I got you know I got a couple, you know I got my my uh, iPhone and I got my uh, a couple Bluetooth speakers and I got
0: way right.
1: <laughs> pretty powerful sound where the neighbors start going. Same thing as back then. Would you turn that down?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just yeah, but it's insane. but you have figured out a way or you know. Well, there's technology now that's helping us, but we figured out a way to solve a problem. We want music outside. So yeah. you figured out how to put the speakers up into the window to play it outside. <laughs> and same thing with me. I had a, my, my boombox was this little pink boombox that nice. I carry around everywhere. And it was like this perfect size. It wasn't too big, but the battery power, whoo. Had the big, you know, like double D yes. batteries <laughs> in the back of it, so you had to be cautious about how long you played it because the battery <laughs> power would go out. But yeah, I totally remember all those things.
1: <laughs> awesome stuff, right there. That's good stuff. Well, th- thank you for sharing that. I got, you know, it's yeah. uh, it's so cool to hear where interest in technology comes from because you never know where where what that inspiration was. And I and I do have to say this: I, I can remember being in a a computer class doing if then go to statements and stuff like yeah. this. And, uh, um, and my first real introduction to, uh, to computers and save, because <laughs> it's, I'm spoiled today with the automatic save that happens in the right. Google world and, you know, the, the cloud and all that sort of stuff, because yeah, that, I'll never forget when I came back thinking it was all going to be there.
0: <laughs> right? Oh yeah. I mean, I, well, even now with the students that I work with, I still say hit save, hit save, and they'll say, well, we're in the cloud, but then there's some, platforms even open source platforms that will use that st- you still need to do file save as or file uh, save because you're right. not saving directly into their platform and so they'll be like where where do I save what do, what do you mean save? I'm <laughs> like oh goodness okay we're gonna to, to walk through the steps just so you should know this in case <laughs> because you know that's been that's been interesting
1: <laughs> definitely especially get spoiled and then and then all of a sudden you have to do it again it's like oh whoa, whoa yeah yeah well, one of the things I want to make sure that I talk about is you have some, um, off your website, you have some cool blog posts. And and one oh. of them is, what, what is old is new again. And you shared a list of 20 fun facts about technology, which is from Global Lead Technology. And number seven on that list notes that 28% of IT professionals hide their career from friends and family to get out of giving free tech support. Have you ever done that?
0: Oh, my gosh, Yes. <laughs> Yes, all the time. You know, what's interesting about it is when I went and, and saw that, I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to show this because this is the part about tech that I, I think scares people the most. They think that it's all this brand new, it's, you know, new <laughs> technology. And, and it is new technology, but it's usually based on something that's already been done. It's just been uplifted to be better, right? <laughs> yes. Um, but, yes, of course, I, I – sometimes don't tell people that if I say I'm a computer science teacher, they immediately are like, oh, blah, 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 blah. But see, here's the thing. I am not a hardware expert. I am very good at writing code and developing software and developing web pages. The hardware piece, I am not an expert in. And people are like, well, hey, can you come and fix my computer? And I'm like, nope, 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 I can't because I don't really know how I can write the line of code to make the computer work better. But for me, I struggle with the hardware piece. And so that's a bit of a misconception. Everyone's like, Oh, you know, you can come help me do. And um, usually I can tinker around with it to figure it out because I've just gotten so now I'm not scared of it. That's the other piece that's so interesting with my generation and those that are that were ahead of me, that, you know, people get scared because it used to be technology was kind of fragile. And, you know, it could break very easily. Now I just turn the sucker off and turn it back on, and magically it's fixed.
1: <laughs> yes. It's my secret sauce.
0: <laughs> nice.
1: <laughs> the first question, is it plugged in? Okay, we passed right. that test.
0: <laughs> right. And if it's not, hmm, maybe we ought to plug it in. Yeah. We're going to try there. <laughs> Excellent. We've <laughs> been I'm like, just turn it off and turn it back on. And it'll, you know, it'll come back. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. The nice excuse is always, I think it's booting up right now. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. The, uh, I, I understand that you desire to integrate computer science cross-discipline into as many schools as possible. What's one of the biggest challenges to doing this?
0: Hmm. <laughs> there are two... <laughs> That come to mind immediately. There, there's a lot of different pieces that go into the robust the robust system that we have of education. But the the first one's mindset. There is a lot of I want I, I don't want to categorize everybody into one clump, but you know, as educators, we have a perception that we really should know everything, that we're the experts in whatever it is that we're teaching, and for the, and and we are the experts because we have studied in that particular discipline and and whatnot. So when you present a new piece of technology, there is what we call, uh, there's two factors. We have a perceived ease of use, and we have a perceived usefulness. So there are a lot of things that are thrown at teachers and school systems every day, which I know you know, Stephen, because we live in the same world. So there is a piece of that where when you say, hey, we're going to add on or hey, we're going to use this or that, that that learning curve becomes a little bit scary. And there's also this fear that people have, oh, you're telling me you're going to use this. And then in two months, it's going to go away. And that happens a lot within within the system. Yes, But mostly it's that perceived Ease of use and perceived usefulness. If we look at a piece of software or hardware that is to help us in our classroom, if initially, and, and whether this is true or not, I mean, the technology may be very easy to use, but if we initially perceive it as something that's not easy to use, we shut down and we don't necessarily jump into using it. The other piece is if we can't find the usefulness of it, if we don't see that it's going to help us do something, we're not going to move forward and want to use it. And those two things combined are very powerful. And it all relates back to mindset and really comes back to the whole concept of change management. We in education have not done a very good job of changing with the times and the culture. And I'm not, I I don't, I don't know why I can't pinpoint that off the top of my head, but I I do know that we struggle with trying to change things quickly within the system. So where I find the biggest struggle is that there is a lot put on a teacher's plate, administrator's plate, a school in general, and then plus the school system. A lot of different pressures, people's opinions, things of that nature so the hurdle that i've had to to overcome is to tell them i am not asking you to do something you're different i'm asking you to elevate what you're already doing so i've had to reconstruct what i say and that it's not just something that i want i want you to truly integrate the technology and use it as a way to really elevate your content move your content forward And help you not have to work as hard because part of the reason why technology is there is to help expand us and expand what we do so if we can use that to help us teach what we're teaching man that's a win-win so i strive to show them to show educators and administrators that when we're walking through using a piece of technology, hardware or software, I go through the four pieces of computational thinking that we do immediately as humans and relate that to what that technological piece might look like. So in computational thinking, there's, there's four elements. We, we, we decompose, we pattern match, we abstract, and then we create an algorithm, which are the steps that we're going to take. So, you know, Stephen, you may say, um, Sharon, can you make a baked chicken? And I would be like, oh, boy. All right. So immediately in my head, I'm already processing. OK, baked chicken, baked chicken. All right. That's not fried chicken. All right. Baked chicken. Um, is it a whole chicken? Is, I'm decomposing immediately in my brain the question that you're asking me. Then I'm going to start to pattern match things that I've done in my past or things that are relative to me. Let's say chicken, chicken, chicken. Oh, okay, oven. Yes, baked. Mm. Have I done that before? I think I did something similar. And then I start to take out things that I don't need. Obviously, I don't need a fryer. I need an oven, you know. And then I create the algorithm to actually walk me through the steps to bake a chicken. The same thing occurs when you are implementing content in your classroom implementing a new piece of technology or using that technology to help you.
1: So cool. Thank you so much for sharing sharing that, that those thought processes. That's that's a neat part of uh, understanding uh, what it would take, you know, what it does take to, uh, you know, the, as you come across those challenges, you know, it's funny because you, you started making me think about, uh, because my time in the classroom, I go from schools that have just just, uh, some computer labs and they're, you know, they're very early, slow, giant things to, mm-hmm. uh, um, I'll never forget the, the school that outfitted every, you know, all these writing labs with these Mac classics. And then, uh, and then suddenly, uh, uh, we get into this war between the, uh, um, the, the DOS systems versus the Mac systems or the Apple systems. And, uh, and, and that in itself was interesting. And, and, but what was was even more interesting was sometimes you would go to training to learn how to use software, but they didn't have the computers. So Mm -hmm. they would show you (laughs) and you would sit there and take notes. Like if you had a computer in front of you, this is what you would do. (laughs) And so where I'm going with that, that would make some people start saying, well, I don't think I'm ever going to see this computer thing. And uh, they'd kind of shut off. And so I've wondered if you've run into the Running into people who do shut off to the idea whether this is something that they can use to help them move forward in their content, or if it is something that because we, you know, we, I think we've come a long way, but I still have been in some classrooms where you might as well be
0: 1972. Yeah. <laughs> Cause we, we could, yeah, and there, and there's still some of that. I mean, the issue that we run up to in education is just the cost that it takes to upfit. And there are a lot of hoops and hurdles that we don't have time to discuss about how that looks. So you have to be um, innovative. You have to figure out ways to make it work that are out of the box. We have um, a one-to-one system now in, in Charlotte-Mecklenburg schools where the st- uh, students use Google Chromebooks. But, and that's great. I mean, they, they have been great. But the Google Chromebook is also not meant to last for years and years and years. And it's also not meant, you know, you have kids that are, they're, they're heavily used and worn daily. And I don't know that the system or any system has done particularly a great job of figuring out what to do once those computers begin to wear out. And what are we, how are we going to work through that? It is, it's, It's a logistics and financial implementation. I I do know that what I try to do within my schools is ensure that we have at least one class set somewhere in the school, one lab that has up-to-date computers and software. And so that we know at some point there's somewhere in the school that has that materials. And the one-to-one with the uh, Chromebooks is fantastic. But then in addition, I've really been leveraging the young people having access to technology in their pockets. A good majority of them have some type of mobile device. And if they don't, there's at least enough within the school that or within their classroom that we can use. And so I've worked really diligently to leverage that piece as well, having conversations with them having class meetings to say, all right, we would like to use your technology and here's how we're going to use it. And here's why. If we explain it to them and tell them why I have had very little kickback on them going off to do other things on the phone. Sometimes teachers will say, or administrators will say, well, they're just going to do Snapchat. I'm like, well, they will, if you don't give them good direction of what you want them to do. And Once they complete the task, you can give them a parameter, which is also a coding term to say you may use X. You could Snapchat if you Snapchat about the project, you know, whatever works for your classroom. But um, that's sort of how I've gotten around it a little bit is ensuring that we have some place in the school that still that has and most schools still have some type of lab type setting or a classroom that has six to ten desktop computers or laptops that stay pretty relevant and that helps we can rotate through in that regard and i do a lot a lot a lot of work with computational thinking and um if the computers don't work we just pull the code off of the computer and we write it and we use flashcards to move it around and we'll build it on the table until the computer comes back up and then we type it we'll type it into the computer
1: excellent excellent so th- this seems like a perfect segue here because we're, we're really getting into the um, into your thinking behind some of the stuff that that I'm, I'm assuming has a lot to do with your consulting work. And so, you know, one of the things I want to do is say you you have a consulting company called The Dot. And before we talk about your company, could you share what it was like transitioning from teacher to entrepreneur, and what you like most about your role in your company, or what you like least?
0: Let's see, Stephen. I, I think I'm still I'm still transitioning. I'm still not really sure. <laughs> it's
1: been, still there,
0: huh? It has been a journey, you know. I I'm still there. Yeah. I still pinch myself because I this was never in my trajectory. When I went through school and I earned my doctorate, my goal and still I think will be a part of my goal was really to move after teaching for a few years in, in high school to move into higher education and to teach other teachers. So this pivot into entrepreneurship, which really has happened over the years. And what is what happened, honestly, is in 2008, when we hit the economic downturn, our pay was frozen. And I had um, taught for a few few years and then I left for about two um, to explore the corporate entity. And so when I came back to teaching, I was at a third-year teacher pay. Well, when I came back, that was the year that our pay was frozen. And so I stayed on a third-year teacher pay for the next five years. Wow! And during that time, I got married, I finished my doctorate, and then I had my first baby. And when I had my first baby... Third-year teacher pay was not cutting the bills to be able to help cover the cost of daycare. And at the same time, I wasn't really in a position not to continue working. And we are a two-income household. And so I say that because that was the beginning of my entrepreneurial journey. I had to begin to find other ways to bring an income to my family. And I started hustling and doing workshops on the side. And then I started doing some online teaching and the workshops that I was doing was through an organization called Code.org, which many of the educational community has heard about. But it was an amazing opportunity for me to start making a little extra money. That, at the time, they paid us to help teach teachers how to teach computer science. And that is what triggered where I am now. Over the years, I continue to do that. And I would get requests to come back and do more. And I was a teacher leader within my teaching community and it just happened very naturally and to the point where I thought, you know what, I can do this. I still get to do all the pieces that I love, but I'm able to do it at a level where I am, I'm helping a lot of different teachers and students see the power of integrating technology and computer science. And it was really exciting. So the, it has been the, the, biggest, the biggest learning curve is going from I, this is my passion to really understanding the business side of it and not underestimating my expertise, not under evaluating what I bring to the table and knowing that I am very qualified to sit in that role to talk about computer science and education because it is my passion just having to put on those two different hats.
1: Thank you for sharing that. It's, I can only imagine, uh, you know, because that's, that's one of the things that I, I imagine is the entrepreneurship part of it is that, uh, you know, really realizing you know, I'm in business. <laughs> I hope that came out right. Yeah. I
0: mean, I hear people say all the time, you know, you're trained in your skill or your trait or your, whatever it is that you do. And the business side is not always the side that you know the most about. Someone was giving a good example about it on a podcast. Uh, that I was listening to last week about fashion and a lot of fashion designers go to school, like to FIT for fashion, but they don't take enough business classes. So they're making all of these things, but they don't have the skill set to run the business. And so I've really been working to edit educate myself on what does that look like and to do it with a thoughtful and conscious manner, because I believe that we have, that we are going to change the way in which we're teaching and interacting. And I am a teacher, teacher's teacher. Like I believe in what we do and the power that it, and the dedication, it takes a very special person to work with kids. And so My work is to benefit the betterment of our system and to to raise up those teachers and let them know how much they are appreciated and that their skill set is amazing and we're just going to take it to a whole nother level.
1: Very cool. So let's use that to transition into your consulting company. Tell us about The Dot and why The Dot and what your vision is (laughs) for it. Because that's, it's kind of cool to say it, by the way, the dot.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's fun, right? The dot. Yes. Um, so both of my companies, well, it started really as one company. And the reason why I developed it was, I told you earlier, I was doing this side hustle. And it, all of a sudden, my side hustle was doing pretty good. And <laughs> my taxes were like, oh, okay. So I incorporated it to, help, it to help benefit myself. And what I did over this past year was I ended up dividing the company into two and it is named both of them are named in honor of my grandmother dorothy rose moore and dotty dorothy was uh a huge inspiration to me she was my best friend when i was a kid my mom was a, an only child and so i had a, a lot of time with my grandmother i called her mama d mama dorothy and she really was just an amazing woman of grace and community and faith and family as well as my mom. It, you know, I, I say that because I don't want to discount the fact that my parents because they're simply amazing and my grandfather. But there's a special relationship between a granddaughter and a grandmother. And we just had this amazing connection. We had a lot of the same things in common. And Mama D always told me I could do anything I wanted to. And when I was younger, I was a painfully shy child. I, it's it's interesting how all this has changed. But I was really quiet at school. I was pretty loud at home. But I um, I would be classified as a nerd. Um, I loved to read. You know, I was very academic, <clears throat> very academic. Excuse me. And so, in the world of culture, I was not popular. Right? And I don't. I didn't really know that. I didn't. I mean, I guess I think back on it. I'm like, uh, I knew I wasn't popular, but I didn't know because I lived in <laughs> like you know. I mean, I had a lot of support. So. What ended up happening was um, I split the business in two and the dot became um, the business side because I firmly believe that um, you can learn to use technology and put the dot on your work. You can just like drop the mic. It's put the dot like boom. We just did that. Right. And you're using that technology to help transform where you are. And there's a dot in programming. Um, which is there's all kinds of dots and semicolons <laughs> Excellent. and then so that's really where it came from I, I and I, because and to be a little more business savvy I thought the dot was uh, a little more catchy than Dottie Rose um, so the Dottie what I'm doing then was that uh, the Dottie Rose Foundation was born to honor my grandmother and we saw so, it's in her honor. So everything we do is to honor her memory and her grace and her commitment to community. And she always believed we were better together and which is the way I believe as well. And um, she taught me a lot about using your community to build and to create change. And that's what the foundation focuses on connecting those dots so that young women can see their trajectory of where they could take their careers um, by integrating technological skills into what they do.
1: Excellent, thank you so much for sharing. And that's, that's so cool that she had such an uh, impact on you um, as a child and through your adult life. So that's very cool. And uh,
0: yes.
1: as a note, I know the f- feeling I had, I was best buds with my grandfathers and, uh,
0: yeah.
1: um, and we could get in trouble together. <laughs>
0: So. Yeah. So did Mamadi and I. I mean, I'm pretty sure Mamadi saved me one or two times from <laughs> the wooden spoon that was coming my way because of something we did.
1: Nice. <laughs> nice. That's, uh, yeah. that's excellent. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> So you do K-12 technology and corporate training. On your webpage, I found this statement. Today, students' needs vary as they grow up in the digital learning age. They maximize their learning when teachers know how to integrate existing tech with the latest instructional best practices and strategies. We must support educators on this critical journey. How do you help schools, school systems, and teachers? What do you do?
0: So my role of what I'm doing right now is coaching and supporting and I do it in three or four, it's a four step process that, that I look at. I first start with a professional inquiry to see where the school is and what the school culture is. Every school has a different culture. And then we look into doing professional development and leadership coaching and leadership coaching, both with the teachers and with administrators. And then I'll bring in what I call community practice. The way that I set this up is it is a, as I mentioned before, there's a lot of mindset issues and there's different walls and barriers that happen whenever you step into a school system. My goal is to elevate, and I've said this before, but I truly mean it. Teachers and administrators are not given enough support, love, and are and are often not treated at the high caliber of professionals that they are. So the way that I support them is to provide continuous coaching and professional development so that they can try and fail, try and fail, try succeed. That's the only way we learn. And I mentioned that before too, when I was learning Visual Basic, it took me a month. Had I not had a professor that was extremely open and allowed me to fail over and over again until I turned the light bulb on, I would never persevered. And and the minutia of what happens in education, we forget that sometimes you have to try four different ways. And I think you and I, we, we both mentioned this, that you may plan a lesson. It goes great in first period. And second period is a complete failure. And we need the room to be able to pick ourselves up and say, okay, ooh, ah, ooh, what happened? Yes. And being able to have someone like myself or that can help, bounce those ideas off and, and provide a different alternative for what you can do is just incredibly valuable. And the teachers that I've worked with, they are so thankful. Um, One told me the other day that I was a breath of fresh air when I came through the door, because sometimes that heavy weight of teaching comes down on them and they, and we forget why we do what we do. Actually, this one of your podcasts, you, you just, did a full conversation about why we do what we do. And my goal is to support them. So to, to not blabber too much, but what I do is sit down with the school and, and I can do it with a district as well. But generally I like to sit down with a school because like I said, every school has a different culture and we figure out what would work best for your teachers. Where do they need the support to help them move From pencil paper to integrating this or what would be a great way for you all to allow your teachers to have this continuous professional development and at the same time not hinder the logistics of running your school. And so for every school that I work with, it looks a little bit different, but it and here's the other thing. We've done a few things and we thought it was going to work and it didn't. So then we're like, all right, well, let's try that again, (laughs) just in the same manner. But I keep to my four points of always going back to that inquiry and asking the teacher, how can I help you? What can we do to support you? Coaching them through different ideas and strategies and different softwares and hardwares that can help them do their job better. And then using the community as a way to extend their classroom. So how do we take that same process that we're using and extend it out to the community and ask that community to come in and be a part of their classroom? Because that, too, elevates what they're doing.
1: Excellent. Excellent. The uh, You know, it's, it's sitting down with people and thinking through, and I think this comes out loud and clear when you look at the different uh, aspects of what you talk about your consulting firm is all about. That, that in itself, because I think sometimes if you want failure to happen, <laughs> um, don't sit down and plan out or think about it. And it's it's why some systems will put a lot of money into what they think is the best new silver, ob- you know, shiny object. And mm-hmm. uh, and then, you know, a year later, they're going, why did I buy that?
0: <laughs> I know. And, and there is no silver bullet. because you're dealing with people and you're dealing with kids. And in middle school in particular, the hormones and the, you know, they're the middle child, right? And it's just a crazy time. And I think that's part of the reason why you have to do continuous professional development and continuous support. Um, I had, um, I took a workshop, oh, maybe back in the fall. And something that really hit home for me was one of the slides, she said, in order to really create change, every teacher needs 60 hours of professional development every year. And change maybe is not the right word, but to really continue to grow. And I thought, my goodness, 60 hours, you know, that doesn't happen.
1: (laughs) You (laughs) know, I mean,
0: I don't even know really in any industry (laughs) that happens, but in our industry, 60 may not be what we could strive for, but I sure would love to see us increase that tremendously. And not do everything in the summer, but provide it as an ongoing platform where educators can continue because, you you know, we get all excited in the summertime, but then there's no touch points later. And as humans, you know, we're going to fall back into our patterns. So we have to keep being able to be held accountable to make those changes. And I say accountable in, in a kind way, not shake your finger. It's accountable in saying, oh, oh, yeah, you know, I did. That did try that. Let me let me do that. That didn't work. But let me try that again. You know, that's kind of where I'm going with
1: that. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. You know, it is it is interesting because we do uh, um, <laughs> we we tried to shove sixty hours into that that hour before uh, school starts and the hour right, right after the holiday break, and uh, <laughs> it's like, yeah, here, here you go. Here's your sixty hours. <laughs> And now, right.
0: And, and sure. we and, and most of the time it's just stuff you have to tell them and, and, and you have to do that in order to make the school function. Right. 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 But, then, <laughs> but the problem is, is that on the and I'm not saying this. And again, I'm not blaming anybody. This is just insights and things that I've learned over the years. I think that it's important that we have those pieces, but we also need to protect the time where we're truly investing in our people. You know, um, SAS, which is one of the companies I've done a lot of work with. And I, of course, I taught SAS programming. One thing that Jim Goodnight did, and it was it's been replicated now in other technical companies, but he said a long time ago that your most valuable resource are your people. And if you don't invest in them, then you're not going to have a profitable company. And that is not happening in our field right now. We're we as the educators are being invested in. And part of it is because people just don't know. They don't quite understand what it looks like to be a teacher or we get wrapped up in the test scores and bop, 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 bop or whatever. And I go back to that mindset a lot that the more we invest in our teachers and the more, and and I say invest, it doesn't always have to be financial. It could be in other manners. Um, And I mean, part of it's usually always going to go back to the mighty dollar, but sometimes it's just that kind note or a letter or a phone call or someone from the community sending a note saying, hey, here's 20 packs of paper. Because <laughs> we all know in teaching we run out of paper. <laughs> Whatever, it, like if you are a, a mom or, or a community member just dropping by the school and providing some supplies or so providing your time is – so valuable to the educators and it makes it just makes a difference and investing in that and and investing in continuous education is to me is a critical component that's missing and where i think we can make a lot of change if we can get some buy-in
1: good stuff the uh you know it's uh there's so many different aspects i mean i i could talk to you for a long time cuz just in what you just said there those different aspects of just the, the support and the understanding and kind of going back to something that you said earlier which is we got to be able to make mistakes because that's how we learn how to how to the the experience of working with the kids is how we um you know over, can overcome some of that stuff but there's all these variables that are there that it's not like it's not like you're <laughs> you're working with some um, widget that can just chop off a right. little here, chop off a little there and boo, it's perfect. And every time right. you do it, it's perfect. And, uh, and it, it's just, just awesome. And I, I appreciate you your sharing his thoughts with us. The, you know, one of the things I want to do is, as we start wrapping this up, I want to give you a chance to talk about the Dottie Rose foundation. Uh, sure. And uh, so from there, you know, from the webpage for the Dottie Rose foundation, this is front and center. It says the world needs more women with tech skills. Tell us, who mm-hmm. done, tell us a little bit more about Dottie Rose and share about the foundation, please.
0: So the foundation, as I mentioned, our purpose is to connect the dots and to provide opportunities for young women to see themselves as technologists or to use technology in whatever career they choose. It is a part of our world. It used to be that you could not necessarily have to know how to use a computer or a smartphone or whatever. Now, that is not the case. You, you need to have some type of technological aptitude in order to be able to be successful in the workforce. And that goes along with soft skills and, and other skills that you'll learn. But if you have the tenacity to be able to learn a coding language or learn a new software, then that's really a big plus for you. The mission behind empowering more girls is somehow from the 1980s to the 90s, we had this huge drop in females being interested in computer science. People have attributed it to video games. They've attributed it to the colors of blue and pink and the boy toys were more, you know, um, Legos and things like that. And the girls were Barbies and, you know, all these things. And there's, there's probably many, many pieces that have changed the way in which females have entered into the field. But in any rate, one of the things that females bring to the table is this really great ability to have empathy and to be able to understand and nurture the nurturing piece and the empathy piece around what technology is going to do. We have to remember that technology is just an extension of us. The human brain and the human cannot be replaced by a computer. The world's not going to be taken over by robots. We still need humans to make this happen. And in many instances, there is not enough ladies at the table helping to make big decisions about how we're using technology or implementing it. And I think that that value is if you're not meeting half the population with what you're doing, then what are you doing? And the, we just don't have enough ladies that are helping to drive what's happening in the tech field, what is happening in development, what is happening in decision making. And that's my mission is to show that if you love to shop, like I do, if you love radio, if you love to cook, if you love to tinker, any of those pieces, we can relate computational thinking and computer science practices to those pieces. So fashion is a great one that I can bring up because I love clothes, love all things about clothes, and I, I love to all different elements of it. What's happening right now is fashion is actually becoming one of the trendsetters in technology because of the advancement in artificial intelligence and marketing. And that is an area where a young lady could have a tremendous impact if they have the skill set and technology the skill set and technology to be able to help move that field forward and still be in doing something that she loves. Because there's a misconception that um, if you're going to be in computer science or technology, that you're going to sit behind a computer and code all day. And you may do some of that. But now the way in which we work, there's so much more collaboration and integration that you will code some, but you also may do project management, you may do some um, prototyping, you may do some digital editing, all of those pieces. And that's what we thrive to do and to be a place in which the ladies can always come back to, to find guidance and support. I want them to, once they have come to one of our camps or workshops, or have met anybody within my team that they know they can always come back to us and that we are a place where they will be supported. And if they have questions, we'll answer. If they need resources, we'll provide resources and,
1: watch them fly cool very nice the uh, and it and i'll put uh anything that uh, sharon reflects on or, or where you can find her and stuff like this as well as the found foundation which has its own webpage, i'll make sure there's links in the show notes so yeah. keep that in mind those of you're wondering where you Thank find you. these the uh Thank so you. so care to share a little about your podcast lady tech charmers
0: Sure. Yeah, I know all the things. Um, well, I told you that I was DJ Sharky Sharon, right? Yes. And I, I interned at a radio station when I was in college, and you know what? I didn't love it. Nice. Um, I don't. I I loved all the pieces around it, but it just wasn't. It didn't. It didn't fit my fancy, and I stumbled upon podcasting just by you know faith, I guess, uh, about four years ago within my tribe of, of women here in Charlotte. And um, we were on a podcast and I thought, well, man, that's that's just like what I did, <laughs> just like what I did, when I did with my dual cassette tape. I mean, but I just got to hit record with the, you know, with, I mean, I know there's more to it, but like initially I was like, well, that's really cool. And I started having a conversation with some of the other ladies and I said, you know what? There's a need for our voice in this community because we're a group of women who, um, and we're multi-generational. So there's three of us that are hosts. We have a millennial, I'm a Gen Xer, and then we have a baby boomer. And each of us has had a different career and path in technology, but we bring something very unique to the table. So Lady Tech Charmers was born to support women in the tech field by providing education, by providing resources a place to listen to other women's journeys uh, as a point of empowerment so that we can help those of us that once we get to the tech field, how do we stay and how do we move into leadership and really continue to help change the way in which the field looks. And so you can find us on Apple Podcasts or on Google Play, and then we have a, w- a website, ladytechcharmers.com. And we're always looking for guests that are using technology in inventive ways that are using it to empower women. I've been invent- um, interviewed a lot of educators I'm very passionate about that discussion. And, um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's my, it's my way to get to be a radio person, but I do it on my own terms.
1: Very cool. Very cool. That's awesome. And uh, I'll make yeah. sure that there are links to lady tech charmers in the show notes as well. So, um, you also have a, you're also an author. You got a couple of, uh, Books out there, and uh, one of them, a recipe for success using SAS University. How to plan your first analytics project. You want to share anything about that, or any other books you got on the way?
0: Yeah, yeah. So that the book with SAS uh, came to light because I was teaching SAS programming um, in high school to high school students, and what really happened, Stephen, was I was teaching it, and the curriculum was provided, which was wonderful. They provided curriculum, but I taught at a school um, that uh, the children. Uh, where we were title one, um, which is a mixed, mostly low income, but we had a mix of kids, you know what I mean? But most of them, um, had not really traveled very far outside the city of Charlotte. And the data that was provided to me in that curriculum was all about the airport. Well, my young people just didn't, it didn't sync with them. And we've talked a little bit about how the light bulb goes off and there has to be some kind of connection. And so they couldn't, they weren't connecting with the data. So I said, you know what, we got to figure something else out. And I started coming up with projects that would be relevant to them. And the first one was around food because my papa, uh, Mamadi's husband, uh, Dwight, papa, he always said food and fellowship. And for me, that meant, all right, well, let's eat. So we started doing uh, integrating science experiments with the data. And that was how it started to change the way in which they interacted with understanding the components of data science and how to use programming to manipulate and analyze that data and so the book how to um, a recipe for success came because I used food all the time and then to really give people real world examples of how to start analyzing data and not be so scared of it because that's really where I found my niche you know I've worked I've done a lot of programming, but where I find my most passion is working within the with data analytics and taking the numbers and figuring out well what does this mean? Really creating knowledge and new pieces of information from that from that data. So that book um, is is now being used in curriculums, and p- teachers are able to use it to find ways to integrate data even into their English classrooms. We did the project um, that I did the first project that I did with my kids was with uh, Pepsi versus Coke and we taste tested them and collected the data. We did it for world statistics day, which happens every October, but we took that project. One of my teachers took it and reused it as a way to show students how to find arguments that are valid. So meaning they were having a hard time understanding how to really back up their, uh, arguments in English with data. So we did the experiment to show them how to do that. And it was, it was pretty awesome. That's cool. Um, So that's that book. And then I have another book coming out um, in April called finding your tech genius. And that whole book is um, just helping teachers to identify what area of tech are you best in? We're not going to be the best in all of them, but I have different buckets and I, Say identify which bucket you like. Which one? What, what do you like? And then we go from there. We cultivate a plan based on the area of technology that you're gravitated to. For me, it's data, so I do a lot with data. <laughs> but every teacher is different. So that that book will be coming out in April, and you can find it on Amazon. Both of them are on Amazon.
1: Excellent, and I will have links to them on the show notes. And so you so you said uh, finding your tech geniuses out. April? It'll
0: be out in April. I am it's uh, being edited right now and it'll be um, up in April. And then um, I have a few more books coming out over the next couple of months. I have a children's book and I have um, another book with SAS that I'm working on. So, but those aren't out yet. Well, cool. <laughs> follow me. You can follow me and then you'll you'll know. <laughs> there we go. There
1: we go. And we'll put the the um, all those uh, social media links as well in the show notes. So super. So um, speaking of social media links, before we go, if someone wanted to connect further with you, Sharon, where would you send them?
0: So uh, two best places is um, I I don't have a social presence really for the uh, the consulting piece. So um, that one would just be at the dot consulting dot co it's C O. Um, not com, C-O, or you can find, or really anywhere you can find me at Dottie Rose foundation is all the social media platforms or at Sharon T as in Tom underscore Jones, J O N E S. That's my personal handle, but you can look up Sharon Torrance T O R R E N C E Jones on LinkedIn and find me that way.
1: Awesome. And, Once again, like I said, I will have those links in my show notes, so easy for you to find. So, good stuff. So, last two questions as we finish up, and uh, these go like this. If you had the chance to talk with 100 brand new teachers, what is one piece of advice you would want to give them about working with kids?
0: It's okay to fail. Show that that it's okay. You don't have to be perfect all the time. It's okay to fail, and be honest with them, and... Start new the next day.
1: I love that advice. That is awesome because I think sometimes, especially brand new teachers, too often think they have to be perfect right out the gate.
0: <laughs> and we're not. Nobody's perfect. <laughs> right. And it's just, yeah, it's okay. And just be honest. And, and usually the more I find the more honest that I am with my students, the more vulnerable I am, the more respect I get back.
1: It's cool that way, isn't it? Because that's one of the <laughs> things that uh, I remember – it's one of the things I love the most. Um, uh, not love the most, but is so endearing in some of the memories about being in the classroom is that when you did admit that I don't know this, <laughs> we we'll are have to figure this one out together. Uh, the kids didn't—they didn't see it like some robot that recharged themselves, you know, locked themselves in the closet, recharged themselves, and came back out the next day, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Connected with you better. Yeah. Very cool. So, last question Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you?
0: Her name was Ms. Dial. She was my eighth grade, excuse me, well, she was seventh and eighth grade drama teacher. Uh, In the seventh grade, she is the reason that I found my voice. I was so shy for so long. And she, believed in me, just like my parents did. And she made me get up there and do a monologue. I I could close my eyes right now and tell you where I was standing when I gave my first monologue and it changed me. It gave me a voice. And I have had the opportunity to tell her thank you because when I first started teaching, she was still teaching at my middle school. And I went and told her how much she had Influenced me, and she is part of the reason why I am an educator now.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. That is so cool. Well, Sharon, thank you so much for talking with me today. I'm wishing you the best in your pursuit of helping girls pursue technology related career fields and everything else you do. Good luck with the Dot, Dottie Rose Foundation, and Lady Tech Charmers, as well as looking forward to those other books coming out. And uh, I can't thank you enough. I've enjoyed talking with you today.
0: You too. Thank you so much for the opportunity to talk with your listeners, and um, I power on educators. We rock.
1: Teaching, learning, leading K twelve is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching, learning, leading K twelve is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators. Podcasts by educators. <music>